available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC. We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. That was a weird one, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ryan Abraham. It was sort of like underwater movie phone. And a little Count Chocula in there, too, yeah, I think. Yeah, there was a lot going on. Yeah. Well, I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. That's the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are team. We make the podcast of champions. And what we do is talk Pac-12 football and some Disney princesses and some Civil War generals. But mostly Pac-12 football. And we love talking it with all of you. We got some... Interesting news and notes to discuss today with the Pac-12 schedule release coming out about a month behind some of the other Power 5 conferences. We'll talk about that and what it means for all the schools. I think overall, pretty good schedule. Uh, I think they did a good job this year. So we'll talk about that. If you have any questions for us, you can get a hold of us a number of different ways. You can email us, pac12podcast at gmail.com. You could call or text us. We have a voicemail today, 424-532-0678. You can tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast, or probably the most active there. And the website is Pac-12Podcast.com, where you can find the old episodes. And on Reddit, it's reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions. But if you have the Apple Podcasting app on your iPhone or your Mac, wherever you got it, please subscribe to the show, Podcast of Champions. Just subscribe. It helps you. It helps us. It helps everybody. But rating us, giving us a five-star rating, is the biggest help of all. Talk as much trash as you want in the comments, but leave us those five stars. That's all we ask. It's just a, it's a slight ask, David. So we, we, this is what we want from our listeners. All we ask is, uh, five star reviews and two hours of your free time to listen to just <laughs> the, the, like, I don't know, like a solid three out of 10 podcast, but you must rate it five stars out of five. Uh, we do have a few new reviews. Are you ready? Oh, we do. Oh, what do we got? We got one from Grumpy Oso. This is Grumpy Bear for those uh, interested in the Espanol. Uh, five stars. Excellent job. Excellent analysis of the conference and excellent job by the conference in getting rid of Champagne Larry. I nominate Ryan as the new Pac-12 commissioner. Ryan brings a lot of knowledge to the podcast, and Dave is very knowledgeable in his Disney movies princesses, which is very scary. <laughs> but what do you expect from a UCLA grad? Keep up the great job, guys. Or should I just say good job, Ryan? Love wow. It. Excellent work. Excellent we love those work. ones that are slanted towards me. Yeah. Uh, this is a five-star <laughs> review from FTFO33. That is, uh, for those uh, who don't know their abbreviations very well, fight the fuck on, 33. Yeah. Uh, Bill Walton's favorite podcast. Uh, what can be said about this podcast that hasn't already been said? It's okay. It's mediocre. There's only 20 to 25 of us that listen to it. I guess that's all that has been said, so I'll stop there. But I'll also keep going. This is everything you could possibly want from a podcast that talks about the premier Power 5 conference. There's comparisons of coaches to inanimate objects. There are recurring characters that email in and provide analysis despite their school winning zero national championships in the sport. There's some chatter here and there about football and Larry Scott's reign of terror. This podcast has it all and delivers the type of analysis deserving of the Conference of Champions. Nice. Some good and, ones. Uh, I think we did Big Smooth already, so I think, I think we're good. I think okay. We're, I think we're all set. 
Thanks for those. Um, especially through the off season. I know there's not as much going on, but we do have stuff. <laughs> Bless you, sir. Um, we do have stuff going on because we finally got the 2021 Pac-12 schedule release. If you watch John Wilner's tweets, he tweeted, I think on Monday that it was supposed to come out tomorrow on Tuesday and it did. Um, but not before. The Pac-12 sent out, so we, we're expecting the Pac-12 release, David. I know you are just, uh, yeah, ed- edge of your seat. You wanted this to come out. You know, you, you know, every day, every moment that goes by, it's hurting the conference to not have the schedule out. I know it's important to you, but we get an email from the Pac-12 about their new apparel partner, Jockey. And so you're expecting the schedule and they sort of like slip this in there. And, uh, Kevin Wade tweeted out and I tweeted like, I thought it was, this is like the apparel that the, um, like on air talent wears and stuff like as it's underwear, term. right? Jockey's an underwear company. So it was, a, I'm like, wasn't it Adidas or Reebok or something, but it was Adidas until a couple years ago. Then it was Nike and they went from Nike to jockey. And I was like, well, if you want to get better TV ratings, just have your talent, your on-air talent wear underwear. And I think a lot of people will be watching your show. So maybe this is a smart move. Maybe. Maybe. It's a, certainly an odd promotional opportunity for an, uh, an underwear company to, um, you know, be an apparel sponsor for uh, network talent. Um, that's, that seems like an odd fit. No, uh, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get this at all. And it was really funny because they first, um, like it was like the day before they posted, Oh, big announcement from the Pac 12. Uh, New York life will continue to be their life insurance partner. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, I'm not on the mailing list for the big 12 or the ACC or whatever, but are they like broadcasting this nonsense? Uh, like are they putting that out there that they've got a new underwear sponsor or, uh, that their life insurance company is ready to go? I don't think anything about the life insurance company. I'm pretty sure you're not going to see the SEC go, you know, for a few years we had a, you know, all our, our talent on the SEC network. They were wearing Adidas. And then the next couple of years they were wearing Nike. And then now we're going to put them in jockey. Like that's just not like one of these things is not like the other. Um, it, it really seems like Nike dropped the Pac-12 and who could they get? And they get jockey. Like when you're thinking polos on television, I'm not, thinking jockey you know what i mean no i'm not thinking jockey i rarely think jockey actually uh but i will say um the the funniest thing that i discovered this week is that the pack 12 still does not own pack 12.com but wait who owns that where's that one it's just a. it's literally just a parked parked website ah they well, just gotta make an offer i'm sure I think um, our our boy. Uh, the truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> With some of those millions, maybe he could, as a parting gift to the Conference of Champions, just buy that and give it to the conference. But you it's, think it's fifty grand? Isn't that worth fifty grand to have Pack One Two dot com? A hundred percent. Like you are paying a terrible commissioner five million dollars a year. If you wouldn't, for fifty grand, you would have this domain name for perpetuity. Yes, come on. Well, frankly, I mean, they might have uh, a, an argument to get it through, like, legal means. I'm sure they've got something copyrighted there. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. But it's really stupid that they don't have it. That's <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I hate having to type a hyphen into a URL. That's, yeah. yeah. Anyway. 
It's very Pac-12. This is, you know, if this is, if this podcast is very Pac-12, not owning Pac-12.com is very Pac-12 as well. All right. Well, we finally got some breaking news, bated breath. Everyone wanted it. You wanted the Pac-12 schedule. We had a grammar discussion on Twitter, um, which, which is funny. I think I, I tweeted like that David could care less. I typically say couldn't care less. I don't, I think I just didn't type it the way I normally would say it, but then I started defending it because it was like, oh, this seems acceptable too. Uh, we had this big grammar discussion on Twitter. It was, it was kind of funny. Um, and it sort of ended uh, when I told David he could do more work then. And he didn't so do you do know that. the concept of, um, code switching? Not sure. I don't. It's a language concept where you, um, basically adapt your style of language, which can be written or verbal, uh, to the medium or um, people you're speaking to. So typical example of this in modern times, um, outside of like cultural connotations, but typical example is Twitter. Okay. Most of the people who are posting on Twitter in like a real posting way, they're not using proper abbreviations and they're almost never using capital letters. That's an example of code switching. One of the things I've noticed in myself in writing sports crap and just doing sportsy stuff is I, I use improper grammar for effect a lot of times. Like I'll often go, he's got instead of he has, even though I obviously know the difference, but it's very much in the parlance of talking about sports. The could care less thing. I don't know if that's exactly it, but it is a part of it. Like the could care less is very much because well, you hear dummy sports people talk, and it's one of the codes that's with, you know, speaking about sports is you kind of use dumb talk sometimes. Um, and it's just, I think a lot of people adapt it, um, but there's there's a lot of it. Um, there's an example that's on the tip of my tongue that I can't think of right now, but there's there's a, a bunch of these where people use certain phrases uh, because it, it fits that, um, the the discussion topic or the 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 you know, people you're speaking to. Yeah. Um, which isn't to say everyone out there is stupid. It's just like, that's the, the, uh, the parlance of speaking about sports. And that's not to say again, that it's specifically with this, just that, you know, sometimes, sometimes we all type kind of stupid stuff that we know is not right. Um, because it's just, you know, kind of in the, uh, in the vein. Yeah. I mean, you see like a, a famous author on Twitter, like they have limited characters, so they might put like you are for your just because they're they're just typing, they're fitting it into the medium that they're on. I uh the could care less I didn't it doesn't bother like my it doesn't bother my ears much, but I normally say like couldn't care less, but I tweeted that out and then I just I just felt like getting in an argument with people at like grammar yeah. police on Twitter. Which yeah. is fun to do. Well so I'm I'm pro um like telling grammar police people to shove whatever um <laughs> because basically language and you're is a grammar expert like you were well, an expert and you were yeah i'm i'm like i'm pretty good at this whole stuff uh yeah. i just said i'm pretty good at this whole stuff by the way um <laughs> but uh the uh the main thing is uh language evolves um language is always changing and uh oftentimes uh what grammarians uh these people who are real stickers for it they're pushing against change. They're pushing against the natural evolution of language. Um, I would argue, and I argued this on Twitter after, after you got beat up on for like an entire day, which is that there's nothing wrong with uh, something that is quote unquote incorrect. Um, my issue with certain things is particularly with could care less 
is the words themselves actually mean essentially the opposite of couldn't care less. Um, so if you're trying to discern that um, as a non-native speaker, like if you're just learning English, could care less makes absolutely no sense in the context that it's used. Um, like it, it's not that it's odd or that it's misplaced. It's that it doesn't make sense. Like those words together mean you could in fact care a little bit less than you do now. You could in fact care a lot less than you do now. It's unclear. Couldn't care less means you, you care the absolute least amount. Um, you could not in any way care less than you do now. Yeah. Um, but that's why I find that one just like not, it's not something that like inflammable and flammable meaning the same thing. Who cares? One means inflamed. One means uh, flames. I don't know. Uh, like that's no big deal. Nobody cares. Um, literally and figuratively, like literally basically now meaning figuratively, it's fig- basically for effect. I don't mind that one as much, even though it's again the same thing because it does have like humorous benefits. Um, like literally was always destined to be used figuratively from sarcastic people. Like that was just always going to be the case. Um, but could care less, couldn't care less. That feels like a simple mistake that makes our language less clear, which is why I would be opposed to it. But again, a lot of people say it. So it's part of that, you know, vernacular. Yeah. I think like care, like it's, you couldn't care less, but then care less became like its own, like kind of entity, like meaning like care less. Oh, that person doesn't care as much. So you're so like, you could care less. Like you basically saying, this person doesn't care, but, but that does it. Like you said, that's not what it means. Like irregardless is one I don't really like. I don't ever use that one. But again, like they brought up on Twitter, you know, you can there, you can find acceptable uses for that because it's so many people use it. You're like, okay, might as well just make it okay. Which I believe that's what could care less. Like the Webster dictionary said, yeah, you can use either one interchangeably. And people still got mad at me. I'm like, well, the dictionary yeah, well, said you could use it, you know. It's basically, yeah, it's it's all the prescriptive versus descriptive thing. Because one, a dictionary is prescriptive in that it's determining what is um, the proper way of using the language, which open to interpretation and it's mostly pedantic bullshit. Uh, descriptive is describing the way the language is actually used. Like, yeah, people say could care less and they mean this. Um, or people say irregardless and they mean this. That doesn't mean that the dictionary is prescribing that as proper use of language. It's describing what's actually happening. Um, or, you know, whatever. People are going to speak however they want to speak. It's determining exactly what you are trying to convey when you talk. Because it's not just always with um, the words you're saying, but it's how you're choosing to phrase them and what order you're putting them in and all that kind of stuff and what you want to say about yourself when you're talking. Um, and for me... I like to think about the logic of the words themselves, like could care less. Well, if it kind of makes sense in like a certain format, it's doing no harm. I have no problem with it. But for me, it's doing a little bit of harm because it drastically diminishes clarity um, for a pretty significant subset of people who might be learning the language and have no idea what the hell that means. Like I think about it, trying to explain that to my, like my four year old and I'm like, well, yeah, sorry, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of where I go with it. I mean, you make your own personal determinations, but I don't think um, grammar being dictated from the top does any good for anybody. And by All the right. top, by the top, I truly do mean Twitter critics. Uh, so hopefully, if you're listening to other Pac-12 podcasts out there, <laughs> the preamble to the release of the 2021 football schedule goes into 
colloquial usage of the English language like we did here on the Podcast of Champions. No other podcast is going to You only get this here, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, the schedule came out. You guys can take a look at it online. You, you know, Who cares? You like, we'll that's the thing. On. Who cares? Uh, well, we, um, John Wilder did a great job kind of breaking down. We can kind of go through each school, just do a few notes or something. But he better he, have done a good job. He was waiting for this thing for weeks. Oh, he had a pre, pre, uh, analysis ready to go, tweeted out like, I got, I got my breakdown ready. I'm ready to go. Um, so we'll go down the, you know, each school, but any, I think in general, it's like, there's not as much egregious crap going on. And, and some people are asking like, well, what does it matter? Like, yeah, everyone's opponent was determined. Everyone's home and away situation for each game was determined. It's just the order. And the problem is we've seen some really crappy orders that were just almost like random in the past where, you know, Oregon or whatever, Washington's like this, you know, title contender. And they always play the Ducks on the road after Oregon gets a bye. Like there's crap like that. The one year USC, every opponent USC had had a buy or, or extra time. They had like a Friday or Thursday game before. Like every opponent had that. And you're like, how is that even possible? Like stupid stuff like that would happen in the schedule all the time. This schedule seems pretty clean. There's going to be a few, oh, that's not ideal. That's not ideal. But for the most part, I don't think you're going to see all this crazy stuff happening. You know, double buy, play, you know, double road, play a team on the buy all that often. That happens a couple of times. Um, you know, Friday road game after a, another Friday, you know, another road game. I think they've cleaned most of that stuff up. So that, that's at least a positive. But any overall thoughts before we kind of look at each team? Um, no, no. Uh, they, <laughs> they scheduled, uh, it, it looks to me, I mean, I, I could be miscounting, but it looks to me like they scheduled nine conference games for everyone. They didn't screw that up. So that's good. Um, everyone got a bye week, at least one. UCLA got two. That's cool. Yeah. Only one week zero game this, uh, this year. Um, but no, it's, a, I mean, it's a football schedule. Um, so I think it's got all the, the elements of a football schedule, you know, 12 games per team. Um, nine of them conference, three of them out of conference. Uh, you know, some games on Saturdays, a few of them sprinkled in here and there on Fridays. Um, it looks like it'll be a, a, an exciting season full of, uh, full of uh, several weeks of games. Yeah. Well, we'll see. That's a, that, I love that analysis. It's a, it's a brilliant breakdown. Uh, all right. We'll go through them quick then because David seems very not interested. No, in no. I'm we'll, totally, I'm totally enthused. Let's talk about it. Let's break it down. All right. First up. I've got notes about everybody. Here we go. Arizona Wildcats. <laughs> all right. Uh, a couple Friday games. Uh, for the Wildcats, a bye week in, uh, week five. It looks like it's, uh, you know, they got San Diego State and BYU to start. You know, that was already determined. Um, any thoughts on, uh, Arizona's schedule, David? Um, I would say, uh, it's good that Washington State is also on six days rest for that week 12 game. Um, yep, that's all I got. <laughs> Uh, so, they, so right now I would say BYU and San Diego State, those present as potentially tough matchups. Um, I don't know. Uh, overall assessment of the schedule, I'd say it's medium difficult. Yeah. But that's mainly because I, I would say it's, I would say it's, yeah, I would go hard actually. Yeah. 
It's, uh, this is Jed Fish's first year. I think I'm grading on a curve a little bit just because of how down Arizona's been, but this, this does shape up to be pretty tough. And it's what, eight straight weeks without a bye? Yeah, the bye, you know, week five. So that's a little rough. You know, in that stretch, you got two Friday games. Like you said, BYU and San Diego State to start. And they're going to go on the road at Oregon in week four and Oregon's coming off. Uh, a cupcake game against Stony Brook. So it's going into the bye. I mean, this could be a one and three <laughs> record for Jed Fisher's first year. And the end is pretty crappy. Um, I mean, they got, you know, Washington on a Friday and then at USC. Uh, that's not a great stretch. And then they finish off with in November is Cal, Utah, you know, at Washington State on a Friday and then at Arizona State. Um, this, not doesn't look easy to me. Looks no. pretty tough. Hard. So sorry, sorry, Jetfish, but we uh, rate that one hard. Yeah, but it's not. They didn't do you a whole lot of favors, but you know, it's it is what it is. They're gonna have to take some time to rebuild that one. All right, next up, Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> Couple weekday right, wait, games. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna assess these according to Moe's hardness scale. Okay, I would say that one is a um, a nine. For Corundum. Oh, okay. What is the Mo's hardness scale? Uh, it's a, it's like um, uh, it's a chemistry thing, I think. Okay. It's like how hard a thing is. Like oh, is actual, like this is okay. It's like yeah, the, rel- okay. the relative hardness is uh, is according to this numbered scale. I mean, I, I could like get it. into the absolute hardness, which is the Rosiwall absolute hardness, I guess. Um, but we'll go, go to Moe's relative hardness, the hardness scale. So a 10 is a diamond. One is like talc. Okay. So where this one's a, a fingernail. But diamond, diamond itself will scratch corundum, which is number nine on this. Okay. I, like I don't know what so corundum like... is. So we're going to assess these according to Moe's hardness scale. <laughs> I like that. Corundum. Okay. Arizona State, a uh, couple weekday games to the opener. You know, it's a Thursday on the opener. That's fine. Um, they also play BYU. Uh, five Pac-12 teams play BYU, but they play BYU on the road. Um, they also have Stanford uh, on a Friday. Any initial thoughts on this one? A lot of legitimate whines uh, from ASU fans on Twitter about the back-to-back Pacific Northwest road games in yes. November, uh, Washington and Oregon State, which I think is completely legitimate. Um, if you look around, no one else really got screwed like that. I think Colorado has Cal and then Oregon, um, but it's tough. I mean, Colorado is always going to kind of be in a tough spot like that. But, I mean, ASU had another road game against UCLA that maybe could have been fitted in here somehow or move them around a little bit so that you're not doing back-to-back Pacific Northwest roadies. Um, cause that's a lot of travel. That's a long travel. It's a long flight and, um, it's going to be cold, um, in November up there. So I don't think that was great scheduling for ASU. I would say from like a difficulty standpoint, this doesn't seem that rough. No Oregon, um, certainly helps. Um, I would say this one for me on the most hardness scale, this one works out to about a, about a five, an appetite. An appetite. Okay. Yeah, scrapable I might go, with a knife. This one is scrapable with a knife. Okay. I might go sixish on this one. Uh, the, the, the weekday games are so all at going, home. Uh, to be clear, you're going okay. with scraping with a steel knife, orthoclase, six. 
I thought orthoclase from the get-go when I looked at the schedule. Yeah, no, you um, were just like, ooh, this one screams orthoclase to me. <laughs> so the weekday games are at home. That's good. Uh, they don't have to play any team that's coming off a bye, so that's a positive. Um, I think Wilner put in his notes that when uh, ASU plays Utah, it'll be after Utah was at USC, and then when they go to Seattle – and play Washington, it'll be after Washington faces Oregon. So a couple of those tougher games, you might get, uh, you know, a team that's beat up a little bit, but you're right. You know, at Washington, November 13th, and then at Oregon State, uh, that's rough, but the, the big one, I think, you know, November 6th, USC, uh, you know, that's, that could determine the Pac-12 South, uh, at Washington is going to be tough. So it's, I think it's manageable. Um, and the bye week is October 23rd. So like, you know, about when you want it, heading into that final stretch. So I, I, pretty good, except for that, you know, that the back-to-back roadies to the Pacific Northwest isn't great. And, you know, potential for snow or something, uh, that November 20th date against uh, Oregon State for sure. Even October 16th at Utah, maybe there's some snow there. So we'll true, see. True, true, true. Okay. Uh, next we got California Golden Bears. This one, they got one Friday game. Uh, they'll be, but it's at Oregon, so that's not, that's so fun. Uh, bye week is week six, you know, so pretty normal. Most of the bye weeks are kind of in the, in the middle. It seems pretty manageable. Um, you know, I, I don't know. What do you, any, any thoughts here? No, it seems incredibly manageable. Um, the back to back roadies that they got dealt are the easiest ones from a travel standpoint. It's Stanford and then UCLA. Um, at the end of the season. So that seems manageable. The non-conference doesn't seem like it's too troublesome. You know, Nevada, TCU, is that Sac State? Uh, Sacramento State, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, they, they should be able to, I mean, this should be a pretty easy schedule for them. I'm going to say on a Moe's hardness scale, this one is calcite. You can scratch this with a cop coin, baby. Is that a three or four? That's a three. Okay. Um, their buy is before the big Oregon game and yeah, Oregon no, has it a sets buy. up nicely. Yeah. Oregon's got a buy too. So, but you know, both thing there. And then, uh, they play USC right after USC plays ASU. So another one of those kind of potential look ahead or whatever or, or get beat up sort of games. Um, and Wilner did note that the, uh, the Bears are the only California team that finishes against the other three California teams. So they play USC, Stanford, and UCLA back to back to back to finish the season. But overall, I think it's manageable. Um, you know, there's no, uh, Utah on the schedule. Uh, there's no Arizona State on the schedule. So, you know, you're playing USC from the South, but you also got Arizona. You know, in Colorado. So are you uh, agreeing with me? Is it Calcite? What are we saying? I, I think I'll go Calcite. Yeah. And, okay. you know, UCLA. Okay. So, All right. yeah. All right. Uh, next up we have Colorado Buffalo. Uh, um, this one I think you're going to find a little bit tougher. A uh, couple Friday games in this one to start the season and to end the season, but just the out of conference. Playing Texas A&M and Minnesota. Oh, oh, I'll give you my preview. This is okay. 10. This is diamond. <laughs> I, 
I would save that because there's going to be a team that definitely. No, no, no. This, this shit's cut in corundum. Maybe okay. there's another one cut in corundum, but this one definitely. There is another is. one. Yes. There is another. Like to say, as Yoda would say. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is a 10 for you. Yeah. Well, you're talking about Texas A&M and Minnesota, right? Yeah. Non-con. Okay. Then they've got a go back-to-back roadies, Cal, Oregon. They've got Utah roadie on a Friday to end the season. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a 9 or a 10. I'm going to go 10. The four-game stretch, you know, you play Northern Colorado on a Friday to start the season. You get a little extra day. But Texas A&M is in Denver, so like kind of a neutral side game, but pretty much home game. Uh, Minnesota, you know, is a team that won 11 games in 2019. You know, they were a pretty hot team. You go on the road at ASU, a Pac-12 South favorite, and then host USC the week. So that's four games in a row. They could be in a really, really sick one and four spot right then. Right. Heading into the bye, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, that's tough. You got to play at Oregon. That doesn't seem so easy. You know, you got Washington at home. Um, you're playing Utah on the road. Yeah. This is, uh, this is tough. Four of the last six games are on the road. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you. I'd probably go nine on this one, but this is uh, definitely not easy. All right, you go corundum, I go diamond. All right, we uh, I, I got my diamond safe for a special team. But next up, we got Oregon Ducks. So the Ducks uh, have one Friday game. Uh, they play Cal at home on a Friday. This is a you know you got Fresno State, which is you know that's a feisty team to open the season. Stony Brook probably not that good, but the big one is at Ohio State. Didn't get a chance to host Ohio State last year like they were supposed to. Now you go on the road to take on a playoff caliber team. Uh, that's, you know, that's going to be a big one for the conference. That, that's September 11th. It's a big weekend for the conference. That's certainly a big game for the conference. Yeah, that one's huge. Um, so that one, that game, I mean, obviously that's a, that's a game where they will not be favored and more than likely be significant dogs. Um, but Fresno State, manageable. Stony Brook, obviously, um, tough, tough game, but they should be able to handle that. Um, rest of it, I mean, you're talking about only, it's the four conference road game year. So that's, you know, it, it's not having Washington and Utah on the road isn't ideal. Um, you mostly get the, the weaker slate at home, except for UCLA. Um, but I would say this is medium grade hard almost entirely because of Ohio State. So I'll go eight. I'll go this one as an eight. This one is Topaz. It very much would scratch quartz. Okay. Topaz I'm, I'm good with. Um, the Ducks are the only team that doesn't play back-to-back road games in the conference. So there's a, a positive there. Unfortunately, so they're, setting, they're setting Oregon up for yeah. a run. Unfortunately, their traditional bye week before the Washington game went away. So uh, I don't know where that one went. Um, so... They have, uh, they host Washington State, but it's sandwiched between a trip to Seattle to play Washington and a trip to Salt Lake City. And we've seen Washington State play Oregon tough in the past. So that's a tough little stretch, uh, there, uh, Washington, at Washington, Washington State at home and then at Oregon and then hosting, uh, the, the Civil War. So, um, Let's see. It's like, and, and Willard did a note here that three teams, Washington, UCLA, and Utah play Oregon at home in vulnerable spots following back to back road trips. So they have a little advantage there too. Um, but I, you know, it all starts with Ohio State for me in this one. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, next up, we have Oregon State Beavers. One of uh, three teams that have no uh, weekday games, so that's cool. But the problem is a lot of their easier opponents are road games, which makes it a little less, you know, easy, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at it, um, it doesn't – so nothing about it screams, like, hugely hard. Um it's a pretty evenly split schedule. There's three home games and three away games on each half of the bye week. Um, the non-con is, eh, it's, it's fine, I would say. Like, it's, you know, medium. Um, I would say opening up conference play uh, with USC on the road, not super easy. Followed um, by Washington. USC, Washington, back-to-back. That's not a good way to start the conference schedule. You don't love it. You don't love it. Um Cal, Colorado shape up as their back-to-back roadies, which, you know, as far as such things go, um, not the worst. Um, I'd give this one, let's see. I'd go back, I think I'd go back to Orthoclase here. I think this is a six. You could scratch this baby with a steel knife. I'm with you on that. I mean, there are no, no weekday games, like I said, no teams coming off a bye, which is nice. But like, if you're Oregon State and you're scratching for conference wins, with you remember the steel when, knife. The you remember the, like, the, we were like, will Oregon State win a game or will Colorado win a game? You kind of want to have the team on the schedule that has, is on a 12 game losing streak. You'd like to see the Arizona Wildcats. They're not on there. So just that not being there, I think it makes this a little bit tougher, but you know, middle of the season, you know, it's kind of an evenly paced out schedule, but you could start off your non-con with a loss at Purdue. Um, certainly Hawaii is a, can be a dangerous team sometimes. And you could start off 0-2 in conference with at USC and Washington. So I think you, you might have to restart the engines at some point and get this rolling, but, uh, we'll see. You know, this, this has been a feisty team at times, maybe a little underperformed where we thought they could be. Uh, but you know, I think it's a, it's probably a solid six, like you said. Yeah. All right. Let's go to. Uh, the team up in the Bay Area. Stanford Cardinal. This would be a diamond. This is a diamond. <laughs> uh, the only team in the country to play all Power Five teams. And I think the last time a team did that, it was USC in 2011. But it's, uh, Kansas State and Arlington. And then on the road, USC got to play at Vanderbilt. So those are the first three games. You know, Stanford's used to not playing at home from this last season, but that's that's three straight road games. I mean, whatever you want to say about Kansas State, it is definitely closer to Arlington than uh, Stanford. Yeah, and uh, and then you you end the season with Notre Dame. So, you know, they play from the south. They play USC. They play Arizona State. They play Utah. I mean, it's I, I don't know how you could make it harder. So yeah, diamond for me. Yeah, absolute diamond. Um, the only thing in their favor is that they do have, um, you know, six home games and only five true road games. But that Kansas State game is is going to be a true road game. Um, it's going to feel like that. Uh, they closed the year with four home games in five. So a chance to close it strong. But when you look at those home games, it's Washington, Utah on a Friday, Cal in the rivalry game, and then Notre Dame. 
uh, yeah, Stanford, not great. No, not great. I mean, this isn't, um, it's not malpractice on the level of traveling to UCF. Um, but you should never be in this position where you're scheduled three power five opponents in your non-conference mm. ever. And the, that is, that is absurd. And the PAC 12 really didn't do Stanford a lot of favors. There's only two teams that play two Friday games and neither of which is like the season ending rivalry one, uh, Arizona and Stanford. So, uh, Stanford has Utah at home on a Friday and then plays at Arizona State on a Friday. And then you got a back to back, you know, trips to Tempe and Pullman. Um, that's, that's going to be so fun and it'll be a, you know, a short week at ASU. So, you know, do you want to play Utah on short rest after facing Washington? Like there's a lot of things here that uh, aren't in Stanford's favor. And the, I think the Pac-12 could have been a little more lenient towards the Cardinal. Right. But All right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll see. Diamond for sure for uh, Stanford. Okay, next up we've got UCLA Bruins. Bruins, only team with two bye weeks because they play like a week zero game uh, against Hawaii. But there's this team called LSU that won the championship a couple of years ago. Uh, Fresno State. State trash last year. Absolute feces. They were year. trash. They were trash. Uh, Fresno State. Um, and I, I, I don't know if you know this, David, but, uh, Chip Kelly hasn't won an out of conference game. So you don't say there's a, I mean, there's a legit shot that this is an 0 3 out of conference schedule, right? I mean, LSU and Fresno uh, State, maybe not Hawaii, but I don't know. Oh my God. If it's 0 3, he should probably be fired in September. Um, he won't be, but he probably should be. Uh, Hawaii's not great. Um, Todd Graham is, uh, I think, going to do fine there, but it's not like even when it was rolling with <laughs> Rolovich. Um, Fresno State's kind of taken a turn. Um, they haven't been as good as they were uh, a few years ago with Tedford. Um, and LSU was trash last year. So uh, certainly possible to have an overhyped 3-0. and um, 0-3 would take, uh, moving some real mountains of crap. Um, I don't even know if Chip Kelly has it in him to go 0-3. I wouldn't that. suggest 0-3 just because he's got this streak going. I wouldn't say, could it continue? Like that's. Oh, that's, I know. I, it would, it would be, I mean, it would be magical. We would all, um, we would all, <laughs> you know, celebrate. There'd be fireworks if he could, if he could make it happen. Um, but it would, that would just take a lot of doing. The Pac-12, the thing to do would be go 0-3 out of conference and then win the South. Like that yeah, would be very Oh hard. yeah, yeah. 7-2 and in conference, 0-3 out of conference. The beautiful, <laughs> beautiful 7-5. Um, otherwise for UCLA, um, I would say this is generally a pretty manageable schedule. I don't think that non-conference is all that hard given the very recent performance from all of those teams. Also, it's, um, a rare seven home games for UCLA. They rarely put themselves in this position with three non-conference home games. Um, just kind of a weird uh, vagary of the schedule that, that happened. Um, so even with five conference road games, they ended up with seven home games, um, which is, again, a rarity for UCLA. Um, I would say because of the two bye weeks, because of the home road split, um, even with um, getting the worst half of the Oregon-Washington split this year, I would give this a Moe's... I would give it a four. I would say it's fluorite. I think it's easily scrapable with a knife. Wow. Okay. I might go a little higher than that. Are you going six orthoclase again? What's five? Five is appetite. 
I'll do appetite. Still, it's, okay. So mine is easily scrapable with a knife. Yours is still scrapable with a knife. Okay. Like you might have to work with add a little bit more. You might have to get some elbow into it. Um, yeah. See, so you're going I mean, appetite? Yeah, I'll go appetite. I think because, I mean, the five conference road games, but you got three non-cons in a row, but the non-cons have been tough. And missing Oregon State and Washington State, like that's not ideal. Um, You know, Cal, Stanford, Oregon, Washington, like, oh, let's add those teams to the schedule. Uh, so you have some extra time to get ready, ready for LSU, uh, which is nice. Um, but you know, with, with the Hawaii game and you got a bye week before Fresno state. So I think you can make the non-con a little bit more manageable, but, um, you know, I, this is the opener for LSU, right? So at least UCLA gets some time to you know work on their game a little bit. I think that's an advantage. So that would make it a little bit easier, but the back-to-back road games, uh, so the Arizona, so October 9th at Arizona, October 16th at Washington. Um, so each of those teams will have, uh, have a bye week to get ready for UCLA. So that's, you know, Huskies are coming off a bye. So play Washington off a bye, uh, on the road. That's, you know, that's a little tough. Uh, so they're having that extra time. Um, but you know, the, they're getting that bye week late in the season should be rested up for the, the stretch against Colorado, USC and, and UCLA. So yeah, I, 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 it's probably mediocre. Um, but there's a couple, you know, questionable things, like I said, with those two road games and both of those teams coming off buys isn't ideal. Okay. But Arizona's just like, you know, they're not that good. Well, you have to 12 game road, uh, losing streak, but we'll see. All right. Next up. USC Trojans. Uh, one of the three teams with no weekday games. Um, they had, Teams like Alabama, Oregon, Washington on the schedule last year, they're not there this year. Talk to uh, people around USC. They are very happy with this one. Yeah, I haven't read any of the usual wines um, on no Twitter wines. from USC people. Yeah, bye right in the middle. Um, you know, the toughest game is at Notre Dame, but they come off a bye for that one. No Oregon, no Washington. I mean, that tough back-to-back roadie, ASU and Cal, how are you going to handle that one? Yeah. Uh, so really, there's no complaints. Um, I would say in oh, the past, actually, give 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 the fandom some time. No, well, they'll they'll find well, some, the complaint now will be there's no excuses that Clay Hilton needs to to win all the games. But I mean, I look at this frankly, and I say, look, you got San Jose State. That's Brent Brennan, baby. Right, seven and seven and one, San Jose State. Yeah, highest dude. highest ranked uh, team in California. You've got resurgent Stanford. It's going to be looking at its own schedule and say, where can we get a win? Where can we get a win? And they're going to be looking. They're going to be searching, and they're going to find USC in week two. You got Washington State, year two for Nick Rolovich. What's he got cooking? You got Oregon State. Look, Jonathan Smith is just rolling, rolling, no matter who he puts in at quarterback, no matter who he puts in at running back. That team's going to go. You got year two of Carl Durrell, year two of Carl Durrell at Colorado. Like, what's that going to look like? It's going to be amazing. You've got Utah, Kyle Whittingham, Cavs of Steel. Then you got a bye week. I mean, bye week, they're going to have to rest up after that gauntlet. I mean, if Clay Helton is 2-4 and four at that point, <laughs> I think you're talking extension. Then you got Notre Dame coming out of the bye week. I mean, look, if if they can keep it within three or four scores, I think that's, you know, that's Charlie Weiss guaranteed contract territory. <laughs> then you've got Arizona, Jed Fish. He's going to be sparking them by that point. Um that's that's just I mean that's that's a tough ask. Then you got back to back ASU Cal. I mean you get a split there. 
look, it's it's like Pac-12 basketball, right? If you've got back-to-backs on the road, you're just trying to get a split. Nice. Then UCLA rivalry game, come on. BYU, closing the year with BYU. BYU was tremendous last year. <laughs> Frankly, I look at this and I say, 4-8, and eight, Clay Helton, can you do it? If you can get to 4-8, and eight, um, <laughs> I think you at least roll it over another five, six years. Yeah. What's the one or two on your schedule? Like, what's that? Uh, so a one, a one would be, talc? uh, talc, okay. which is scrapable with your fingernail. Um, I would say this one is, uh, gypsum, scratchable with a fingernail. Two. Okay. I'll go with that. Yeah. Cause you got still got Notre you Dame. You couldn't pull this off completely, but you can definitely do some damage to it with your fingernail. This, uh, yeah, they're, they'll be favored in like 11 of these games. It's really, you know, no, there's no cold weather. The only, like you, Utah does have uh, a bye week, but they're playing in the Coliseum. There's really nothing that's, that you would go, oh yeah, that's, why would you do that, you know, to uh, a contender in the conference? They did nothing that, that's a contender. So this is definitely different than what we've seen in the past. So that's part of the reason why, like, yeah, we're not seeing these teams put in a real competitive disadvantage. A couple teams, like Colorado, like, uh, Stanford for sure, but. They did, they, you know, they definitely did some favors for USC in the schedule. Yes. All right. Next up, we got Utah Utes. Uh, three weekday games, uh, opening the season for Weber State on a Thursday. And then they got a road game at Stanford on a Friday in November. And then later in November, their, their, uh, finale is against Colorado, uh, on a Friday, uh, early bye week, uh, coming in week five. Uh, but they do have a bye week heading into the USC game, like we mentioned. So that's a big one, but they have to play USC and Arizona state back to back off that bye week. So I don't know. What do you think? Uh, what do you think about the youth schedule? It's medium hard. Um, this one's going to be, uh, it's, it's a challenge. I, I don't love the four straight games or the, the eight straight games. Sorry. Coming out of the bye week. Um, they avoid Washington and get Washington State, which is probably a slight advantage um, in their favor. Um, Stanford Cal, um, I'm not sure which one you would want this year, so that's kind of a wash to me. Um, but Washington State, Washington, uh, they probably got the better end of it. Um, I don't know. BYU and San Diego State are both true road games. Is that right? Uh, at BYU and at San Diego State, yes. What are you doing, Utah? Why don't you do that to yourself? Yeah. Um, I would say this one, it's pretty hard. I mean, I'm looking at this and this doesn't look like a cake schedule and, and having to do that back to back roadie in the non-conference is really kind of crappy. Um, I'll call this a, this is seven. This is quartz. This, mm. this is scratch window glass to me. I think seven's. A good place to put it, just because you got those early road games. Um, but you know, you have potential to be four and L going in the bye too. I which, mean, doesn't everybody? Doesn't doesn't everybody yeah. have potential to be undefeated going into their bye week? Sure, except um, Arizona. <laughs> for sure, uh, that you go at Arizona at USC and Arizona State, huge South implications right after the bye week. But then you got to go to Oregon State. That could be trappy for sure. And then, the, you know, the end of the schedule is a little more reasonable. I mean, you got UCLA on the road at Stanford. We're not sure how Stanford's going to be at Arizona. They're trash. The Oregon game is big, November 20th. If Utah takes care of business, I mean, that could be a really big one 
in the conference and then, you know, finishing up with Colorado, which I think will be a little bit down uh, on a Friday. But, like, get through October 9th, October 16th with the two rivals in the south. Don't stub your toe against a team that you'll be favored against. And then that Oregon game could be absolutely huge. So things are set up okay, but it's not it's, it's not an easy road. But I think it'll be fruitful if they're able to get through these games. You know, they're all going to be a little tougher than they need to be. But if they get through them, I think there'll be a lot of those games they'll be favored in. Um, they'll be in a good spot. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, we've got a couple left. Uh, first, we have... Washington Huskies. <laughs> a couple Friday games uh, for the Huskies at Arizona on a Friday and uh, Washington State in the uh, Apple Cup on a Friday. They do have, uh, I believe, Stanford. They have back-to-back roadies at Arizona at Stanford, and I believe the Stanford one is Stanford has a bye. So they're one of, uh, I think a couple teams have that. I think UCLA might too. Um we have two road games, and then the second one, the teams come off a bye. So it doesn't happen a lot, but that's one thing where maybe you didn't put Washington in the best spot. But, the you know, again, September 11th at Michigan, a team that was going to play Washington at home uh, in 2020, now you get to go on the road and uh, and play Michigan. So that, that, that'll kind of set up the, the season for me as far as Washington goes. If Washington um, doesn't post a really, really solid record this year, I think you have to start to question uh, Jimmy Lake. Yeah. Um, and I know it's year two, but uh, Michigan, yeah, that'll be a challenge. Um, the non-conference besides that, Arkansas State and Montana, you should crush them. Then in conference play, you avoid USC and you avoid Utah. So there, there's no real excuse. And it's one of the years with only four conference road games. So – all of that sets up for them to make a big run in conference and they should go at minimum two and one in non-conference. So yeah. if they don't have a really nice year this year, I think Washington fans have to start getting worried. Um, I would call this, uh, because of Michigan, because it's a big, but it's, it can't be higher than a three. Um, so I'll go Cal side again, scratch it with a copper coin, baby. I'll do that too. Uh, the early November games. Uh, Oregon, Arizona State back to back, but both of them are in Seattle and it's Arizona State after, uh, they play USC. So there's some advantages there. Those are the two toughest games, but at least you get them at home. Oregon's not coming off a bye. Um, Arizona State's coming off a hard game. So yeah, I'll agree with you there. I think this sets up pretty well for, uh, the Huskies. All right. Last one we got Washington State Cougars. <laughs> A uh, couple Friday games to end the season, very late uh, bye week. And, uh, you know, USC and at Utah week three and four. I, I, I don't think this is going to be an easy one for uh, Nick Rolovich. What are your, what are your initial thoughts? Um, you said you don't think it's going to be an easy one for Nick Rolovich? Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's like – I mean, I don't think it's like a super easy schedule. I think it's on the harder end. What, what do you feel? So they've got seven home games, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. One, two, three. Their non-conference, seven. uh, just to clarify, their non-conference is three home games, um, all against, so Utah State, Portland State, and BYU? Yes. Okay. And then their conference slate, so is, so they've got to get USC. So it's USC instead of UCLA, which not great. Um, and then uh, Utah instead of Colorado. 
So conference wise, a little bit challenging. Non conference, not at all challenging. Um, man, it seems I, mean, I, I, I know I, we've I know we've been doing it a lot, but it seems like a classic appetite for me. Okay, it's a five. It's still scrapable with a knife. They, I mean, the at Oregon game, they, you know, and at Arizona State, they're sandwiched between a bye, but those are definitely tough. Uh, you know, you got USC, you got Utah, you got Arizona State. It's like if you're one of the three top teams in the South, uh, they got them, but they do have Arizona, which is good. And that's, uh, you know, a, a home matchup at the end of the season. Um, then playing, uh, Washington on, uh, on a Friday. Um, so that'll be, it won't be a short week because it's back to back, uh, Friday games, but, uh, the, the, the at Arizona State game also will be Arizona State coming off a bye. So that thing makes it a little bit, um, you know, more challenging. Does and it, then the, well, what are the, what are the actual numbers there? Can I get some numbers? Can one of you like nerds please run some numbers for us on this? Yeah. Does uh, it matter? Like, does it matter if one team's coming off a bye and the other one isn't? Like, tell me, you, you run the numbers, run them, run them. And, and that, so they're back to back in conference comes after they host USC then at Utah and at Cal. So that's a, you know, a difficult stretch. Uh, Wilner did have a note though that the, uh, so the, um, the three teams, uh, that Washington State plays, Cal, Oregon State, and Oregon, they played all three of those teams after they play Washington. So there could be a little advantage there. So I'm, I'm, I'm middle of the road with you. I'm a five on this one as well, but you know, you're, you're hoping that Washington kind of beats up like Cal, Oregon State, and Oregon a little bit and makes those games a little bit easier. For Washington State, but I'm I'm kind of middle of the road with this one too. Probably five is good, just because the the number of home games and uh you know the out of conference slate just isn't that hard. And we'll see you know what BYU looks like in the middle of the season. Just you know late by is not great. The back to back roadie's not great. Um, and that you know at Arizona at, at Arizona State and at Oregon that's not great. Are, are we are we done talking about the schedule now? I think we're done. Yes. Whee! Tremendous. I, nice. I fought through it. For all of you out there, I fought through this discussion. You did. Uh, all right. Dude, um, did you see what uh, Greg Burns said from uh, Alabama? So he's the Alabama athletic director. He's a potential Pac-12 commissioner candidate. He said mm-hmm. full stadiums this fall. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a chance. Do you think that's going to like make it easier for him to get the Pac-12 commissioner job if he wants it? Oh, you harder? mean from like, a politics standpoint? Yeah. Um, I don't think he's gunning for the Pac-12 commissioner job, to be honest, but, uh, I don't think it'll fundamentally matter. I mean, speaking optimistically, these guys have been doing that since last year. How many of them were talking optimistically last April about having full stadiums in the fall or having half full stadiums in the fall or whatever it was going to be? And then it didn't end up happening at anywhere near the rate a lot of these guys were optimistic about. So uh, I'm fine with talking optimistically. And frankly, I mean, the situation does seem considerably better. Um, and, uh, I, I don't think it's completely out of the question that you might have, um, full or reasonably packed stadiums this fall. Yeah. Um, there's another note I put in here, Guy Holiday, he's the wide receivers coach at University of Utah. He was, uh, let go and there was his son posted some stuff on Twitter. He's a, he's a coach also, I think in Texas somewhere. They had a couple wide receivers, uh, go to the transfer portal and no one really knows why he was fired. I don't know if you heard anything about this, David. Any thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm sure some just, stuff will come out. No, he's just a guy. Just a guy. Yeah. You see what I did there? I did. 
Guy Holiday. Yeah, no, uh, I don't. I don't have any thoughts on it except uh, it sounds very much like uh, there's a problem there. This is now what the third or second time in three years that Utah's had a weird offseason thing with uh, an assistant coach right. uh, and Morgan Scaley posting. He's still there though. He's yeah, still Texas there. Racist stuff. Um, yeah, I I guess this guy clearly didn't have the support of the players since they were since they were transferring out. Yeah, or they transferred out because he's not there. I, who, I'm not sure, but we'll have to try to get some uh, clarification in the coming weeks. But just something to yeah, we're gonna start. To. I mean, you've got to be excited because this is your season, baby. We're gonna Spring be starting football, with previews, and we will start talking to all the publishers here pretty soon. And real quick, I wanted to give an update on spring football. For oh, everybody. I bet you did. I bet you did. So I emailed the group, and right. uh, here's what I found out. So, so USC starting on on uh, March 30th. Um, pro day will be March. You can, you can taste it, can't you? March 24th. Yeah. So they'll probably do like a three day a week thing for Arizona. They don't have a schedule yet, but they know they will start March 23rd. They'll have a March 17th pro day. Just so you know, there's no combine this year that you can invite to the combine, but they're not doing workouts there. You have to do the pro day. So everyone's going to have pro day for Colorado. They're probably going to begin around when USC does March 29th, but they're still waiting approval from Boulder County. Uh, Washington has not, uh, don't have a detailed practice schedule yet, but they're going to start March 30th also. I'm sorry, their pro day is March 30th and then they'll start, uh, April 7th and go through, uh, May 1st. And they, he thinks they're only going to have Zoom access. We don't know if there's going to be in-person access at some of these places as well. Um, nothing for Oregon yet. They do know the pro day is April 2nd, but no dates at all. UCLA hasn't announced any dates. Uh, but they're speculating March 30th, at least according to Tracy. I don't know. Did you hear anything different, David? We have heard nothing. We yeah. will hear nothing for many, many moons. Yeah. That's it's the way it's Chip Kelly, are. baby. Chip Kelly. Yeah, we don't need to tell the media anything. Washington State, not uh, any dates, but they're guessing around March 25th. Oregon State, they start April 6th. So that's going to be a little bit later. They don't have a pro day yet. Cal started. I didn't even realize this. February 24th, Cal started spring football. Um, we, they started when we did our last show, and I didn't even know they had started spring football. The spring game is going to be March 20th. They don't know the pro day yet. Uh, Stanford, nothing is uh, set in stone yet. They think they might move everything out until May. Uh, Arizona State started today, uh, March 3rd. So if you want to follow uh, our buddy Chris Cartman, you can see some updates from them. They're actually going to allow... Uh, some media to attend practice, but only four media members per practice. So Chris Cartman was out there today, but it's going to be some kind of rotation. So it depends on, you know, I guess your pecking order in the media or if they, I don't know how they're going to do it, but only a few media members a day. I kind of like that, just a few. And then uh, Utah, no details on spring camp, but it's probably going to begin the middle of this month on the 15th. So we have a couple have started. Arizona State started. Cal, surprisingly, has already started. Um I'm sure you, you wanted to know all of that, David. Oh God, it's so exciting. I love, I love, love listening to you read dates. All right. Like well, the note of excitement in your voice when you're talking about when spring practice will begin is just, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's magical. I guarantee you no place else in the world has what everyone's doing on spring football just because I've emailed all of our publishers to find I out. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, you're just, you are a content creation machine That's and right. I appreciate that about you. That's what I do. Uh, all right. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, get to your questions. 
national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. We got a bunch of questions. I got some limited time, David. Do you think we could knock these out in like half an hour? Do you think we can do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Where are we starting? Let's. Uh, well, I'll do a voicemail first. How's that? We have one voicemail. I'll play that, and then we'll get into the questions. Well, well, well. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Sith Lord Dave. That's right, it's me, resident Stanford fan. You haven't listened to my implorations. You've negated all of my requests. You flat out poker faced an acrostic work of art. I have no other choice. I will be forced to start exacting much more painful measures. That's right. Every week that Dave fails to sing All Right Now as a penance, as a groveling apology for your <laughs> lack of confidence in David Shaw and the mighty Stanford Cardinal, for every week he does not honor his word and sing that song, I will be forced to flood your social media with Coach Chip Kelly and Coach Clay Helton quotes, singing their virtues, <laughs> spreading a positive message around both football programs. If that doesn't add enough pressure, I'll ratchet it up a notch. I will see to it that the new Pac-12 commissioner every single week retains at least one of Larry Scott's harebrained ideas for how to make the Pac-12 a little bit more marginalized. That's right. We'll keep this thing going completely off the rails. Proceed at your own peril. TTFN. Nice. Wow. I think the creepiest part was ending it with Tata for now. 
Like, yeah. I think that was definitely it. Um, clear kid, notes. Like, I mean, clear, obvious notes. The baby crying in the background <laughs> again, just beautiful. Playing like he a xylophone like, or something. Yeah, the kid was definitely <laughs> banging on a xylophone. That's that was happening. Um, tremendous. I, I have no notes. That was actually that was just excellent. We don't have a lot of time, but we can definitely schedule that. Him, you know, his performance of all right now, maybe in a future episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got an email from Frank in Sacramento. Washington's future doesn't look boundless. This is a bunch of crap. UW Athletics unveiled its Nutty Boundless Futures program, which they say is a comprehensive personal, professional, and, quote, leadership development program designed to help health Husky athletes benefit from coming NIL legislation. Washington. Whenever, will... I, hear, whenever I hear Husky athletes, by the way, I just think of <laughs> offensive linemen. <laughs> These are the big men in the trenches. <laughs> They're trying to help the Husky athletes. Anyway, continue. <laughs> this is the, the body image of these athletes is, is, is a real issue. There's a mental health thing. Uh, well, Husky is kind of a nice way of saying it, right? Yeah, that's true. Like They're if Husky. you go to a store, you don't go to the, the big fat section. It's like a Husky session. Yeah. Uh, Husky section. Uh, Washington will allow athletes to start and promote a business, be paid for uh, sponsored content and endorsements, or sell autographs. How is this being talked about as a leadership development program? This is about kids getting a cut of the big college athletics money floating around. The best high school seven on seven and AAU players will come to college with tons of Instagram on Instagram followers in hand looking to cash in and not want a university to help quote start and promote the kids brands and uh, then surely take a cut. I don't think the universities can take a cut. Uh, the savvy kids will all go to hot schools and established media markets, grow their brands, and keep all the cash for themselves. Frank and Sacramento. I don't really understand the critique. Not either. Uh, I don't think the schools, I think the schools are doing that to help them like build their own brands. Yeah. If you're coming in and you're Zion Williamson or whatever, like, yeah, you got two million Instagram followers in high school. Sure. Like you don't need, you probably don't need help, but a lot of the kids might, you know, maybe you're like the best lacrosse player. You don't have much and, they're going to help you build your your brand a little bit. But I don't think the schools can take a cut of that. I think that's a service they're going to provide to the student athlete. That's, But I could be wrong. That's my understanding. I don't know. I mean, maybe it just means they'll help them file their taxes with all this money coming in. I don't know what leadership development went. Isn't that like just a vague-ass term for like learn how to be, you know, somebody who makes money? Yeah, and we don't know the – we don't know what the legislation is going to be. We don't know how they're going to make money. They're just – they're putting programs in place to – Try to like help them when that does come down. The yeah, no, this is good. It'll be an advantage for them, Frank. Promise. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. All right. This is from Michael in Seattle. It's real long. Um, rivalry week scheduling suggestion. Hello, Ryan and Dan. Uh, just finished listening to your latest <laughs> podcast on the lack of a Pac-12 schedule released. Uh, I just said schedule. I just said schedule. Yeah. With like Do a you even K. hear what I'm saying? I'm saying schedule. With a K, I think, yes. With a K and a U at the beginning, not at the end. Anyway, <laughs> uh, of a Pac-12 schedule, schedule, release. Well, I'm not sure if Larry and his crew of misfit tennis execs are still... T- I can't talk today. I can't do it. <laughs> are still taking suggestions. I wanted to give my two cents on a schedule change that's probably more beneficial to the conference moving forward and has been on my mind since your conversation about rivalries last summer. As an Oregon fan in Seattle, Ducks versus Huskies matchups tend to be the biggest games of the year, or at least a make-or-break game in the mind of most fans, whether the season was a success or not. I'm curious to know your thoughts on both teams adopting a, quote, Michigan model 
for rivalry scheduling. That is, playing your in-state little brother midway through the season, mid-October through early November, and moving the Ducks-Huskies matchup to rivalry weekend at the end of the season, featured against the Iron Bowl, OSU-Michigan, USC-Notre Dame, etc. Here are some facts for the case. Since the Pac-12 began in 2011, eight of the nine games have featured at least one ranked team, and four of the nine games have featured both teams ranked. Better to have this at the end of the season than midway if we're talking about making a case for the playoffs. Both teams have combined for the six of the nine Pac-12 championships so far. Winning this game matters to the division and a potential NY6 or playoff bid. Looking back since 2012, Oregon-Washington viewership would have ranked in the top five viewership during rivalry weekend about 50% of the time, and at least in the top eight of viewership in at least seven years going back to 2012. That's also with several years of a dreaded 10 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. With respect to ranking, which are the, uh, with respect to ranking which are the best rivalries in the conference, I don't see any other two teams taking shots week after week on this podcast, formulating passive aggressive monologues about which offensive line coach couldn't develop talent or what backup tight end coach can't recruit. You see it all over social media. These two teams have a level of hate for one another that no other team can match. Larry, if you're listening, this type of engagement is something no amount of money can buy, not even at your salary. <laughs> I know most Cougar and Beaver fans will lament having their Super Bowl being relegated to midseason, but guess what? Most D2 schools who play big-name opponents in their OOC schedule have their biggest game week two. It's not that hard to stomach, and your once-in-a-blue-moon victories in the respective games don't matter much outside your farm towns. Wow. Again, love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks for all the hard work you put into the show. Michael in Seattle. Michael, you make a very compelling case. You're going to get us a lot of hate mail from, uh, from, from those in the farm towns. You will. Uh, I don't, I think it's, it's a compelling case. I like it. I think uh, this, this would work. Um, right now it's, uh, week 13 is when you're seeing, uh, the Apple Cup and, you know, when you're seeing the Civil War, it's week 10, right? That Oregon's playing Washington. And, uh, yeah, I, I would like, I mean, I, I think that would be cool to be a, a final week of the season game. I, I got no issues with this. Yeah, I'm for it. I'm pro. You made a compelling case, and now I am with that, as the kids say. I don't think the Michigan-Michigan State game is diminished. They say I'm with that. You're with it. (laughs) That's what the kids are saying these days, right? Uh Uh, Yes. Uh, No, I I mean, I don't think these games would be diminished. Like the Civil War being like week 10 or something, or, you know, I think that's kind of cool. You know, are we supposed to call it, what's what's it supposed to be called now? The Uh, the Oregon game? I'm not really big on change so like i know you are i'm those grammar people that don't want you to say new words uh yeah but i mean that's cool like the apple cup i think those games are like unique enough that they don't have to be the final week of the season you know um yeah i i like it i like the it it is a huge rivalry game it has been nationally relevant when the pac-12 has not really been nationally relevant that's as close to nationally relevant you're going to get in the conference so yeah I'm, i'm good with it Okay, cool. This one's, this one's from Dan. Uh, he's got a lot of, uh, you know, some people's signatures, like there's a lot of stuff in their signatures. He's got a lot of stuff in his signatures. Yeah, but, he's one of those lot of stuff guys. Yeah. Uh, another dumb Pac-12 expansion idea. We know the Pac-12 conference favors tier one research universities and rival pairs. The only top 10 media markets outside of, but in proximity to the Pac-12 footprint are Dallas and Houston. The University of Texas and A&M aren't coming to the Pac-12, and I don't think any other Texas school is leaving the Big 12 for the Pac-12, 
as the long, as long as the Longhorns are in the Big 12. I think that's what he means. So what remains? The University of Houston is a tier one research university and the third largest university in the state of Texas. Pretty good basketball tradition, some football tradition, and you gotta think that their athletic programs would take a step up if they joined the Conference of Champions. There happens to be another tier one research, uh, university in Houston. Would Rice step up their game in order to become the Vanderbilt of the Pac-12? I think Stanford would have something to say about that. This gives the Pac-12 <laughs> another intra-city rivalry in a major media market. It might be off, but I think Houston Rice gives the Pac-12 a piece of the Houston media market and might bump TV revenue enough to justify splitting the pie 12 ways, I mean 14 ways instead of 12. In addition, Pac-12 teams get to play in Texas regularly, which has to help recruiting in the state. Another option would be SMU instead of Rice to get a piece of Dallas. It's a secular school in spite of its name, uh, but it is not a tier one research university. Thoughts from Dan? I love it. Yeah, I think it's cool. Houston and Rice would be cool. I think it's a good pair. Like you said, there are good research universities. You don't have the excuse that you I mean, Houston, Houston is a jump up from being a power, I think. Um, like if they get into the, uh, uh, power five, I think they could be a, they could be a, I think they would be a medium pack of power pretty quickly. Um, Rice, I don't know. I mean, they've been in Conference USA for a bit now. Um, but if you, you know, if they start getting, you know, even at the Pac-12's meager sums, it's probably more than the Conference USA schools are getting. It might encourage more investment in the program, and they do. I mean, in theory, those two schools have better recruiting bases than uh, certainly Most Colorado, <laughs> certainly Utah, I think, to an extent, maybe more than, um, Oregon. you know, Oregon State and the Arizonas as well. Um, I mean, obviously, they're having to compete against some big boys also in Texas, but you got to think in that Houston area, there's a lot to scoop up that doesn't get recognized by um, Texas and A&M and that sort of thing. So uh, I think this is an interesting idea. Um, and I think if you snagged both, I would go Rice and Houston um, and really try to get a lot of value from that media market. I don't know what SMU is bringing to the table. Um, and I think there might be just, you know, there's some complications with SMU going back to the uh, the old Pony Express. So, yeah, anyway, I uh, I think uh, Houston Rice, yeah, I'm all for it. I co-sign. I like it. I don't know if uh, you're going – that's going to be the way of the future, but, you know, going into the 2024, um, you know, contract negotiations, you adding, you know, that market I think could be a benefit. I You know, we might see just like – super conferences or whatever, but this is, I think this is a proactive move and I mean, I, you're going to get worse. I think, it, I think there's upside here and not a ton of downside. So yeah, I'm, I'm good with one of these. And I like it. Love it. Oh boy. Uh, this is from Thomas. This is, uh, our a, man. this is like actual Google doc that was, yeah, saved. I think it's it was even... so long that it had to come <laughs> in a Google doc attachment. Um, wow. Okay. You want to like paraphrase or what? What, what are you? I'm, I'm reading it. I'm reading it. I'm going in. Beach cities, Babylon. Hey guys, I was deeply enmeshed writing an off-season think piece for you when I heard towards the end of your last show you both claimed that the beach cities area within LA is overrated. We did not I, both claim that. Ryan did I, not claim that. No, I've lived here for like 25 years. No, I do not. I was that. I was born in it. 
um, I'm like Bane. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's part of me and I hate sand. That's really <laughs> fundamentally what it is. I hate <laughs> sand and I hate sand people, not just the Star Wars characters, but like the people who just like want to hang out on the beach and play like beach volleyball, you know, those fucks. That's what I was doing this morning. And I bet like, it was. I it bet started it was to free. rain. Like one game in, we we wanted to get a few games in before it rained. There's like five of us, and we just kind yeah, of yeah. Nothing better than being on the beach when it's raining. It was Jesus. raining. The balls were wet. Yeah, like, no. The, the was, only better than sand is mud. <laughs> I was so. Yeah, I usually go right to Meals on Wheels. I had to go home and like hose off and shower off before I could go because it was just like kind of stuck. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great when you go to the beach and then you have to spend like 30 minutes cleaning yourself afterwards, get all the kernels of sand off of you. Great exercise though, but yeah, it was, it was a little tough. It started raining. We don't get much of that here in LA. Yeah, no sand. Uh, hearing this, my hands almost slipped off the steering wheel with shock, as I would say they are definitely not overrated. As someone born and raised in Southern California, having lived in both the San Gabriel Valley and the agonizingly congested neighborhoods of the West Side, the beach cities always felt like paradise. Even though I have no desire to live in L.A. again, if someone threatened me at gunpoint like Lady Gaga's dog walker forcing me to move back, I would pick the South Bay in a heartbeat. I do realize you both have had different experiences, but I would definitely say even the Pac-12 podcast's very essence reflects the sunny, laid-back quality of the beach city's ooze. True, years and years of carcinogenic emissions from local oil refineries and noxious chemicals seeping into the local groundwater from building military aircraft have taken an environmental toll on the place. But still, where else in L.A. can you do things like walk or bike ride for miles along a coastal boardwalk so effortlessly? It did occur to me, though, that both of you may not share my enthusiasm here because of what part of town you are most familiar with, uh, respectively. For example, as Dave grew up in El Segundo, relatively few Southern Californians may be aware that that means there has been a dark, ominous cloud hovering over him his entire life. (laughs) Never mind the fact that it originally would have happened to be uh, that it originally would have happened to be emissions from the Chevron oil refinery and not his often misanthropic and bilious. Wow, aura. He's got a lot of words. <laughs> yeah. Combine that with El Segundo being the only town in the South Bay where you can't actually live within walking distance of the beach, despite being only a few miles away, and it makes perfect sense how he uh, manages to be so impressively and consistently irascible. So, technically, you can. I mean, it depends on, like, I mean, what's walking distance, right? Yeah, you miles. can walk. Like you, just you go can down, walk uh, easily. I've walked to the beach from here many times. Grand or whatever. Yeah, I walked walking. to the beach with a bottle of gin <laughs> one time, drank it all, and walked back. <laughs> and let me tell you, drinking some dry gin on a hot day on a beach, actually not fun. Not a good experience. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, but it happened. Uh, but, yeah, you just walk up Grand Avenue, and there you are. Um, so yeah, it's close enough. You don't get to live on the beach in El Segundo because if you lived on the beach, you would be, uh, hanging out with, uh, Hyperion and whatever that other thing is. But what are you going to do? Um, all right. Ryan, by contrast, chose his palatial abode in Gardena. No, but obviously (laughs) to relive his past glory playing volleyball for the Trojans, being so close to the sand in Redondo. However, living that far inland means that while he can wake up and enjoy the tantalizing breeze coming off the ocean, he's too far to actually see it in the distance. Does he know where you live? No, but after the paragraph, I'll give you a few thoughts. No doubt this gap fuels his aspirational and entrepreneurial side to relocate ever closer to that endless blue horizon. I'm sure he can't help but wake up excited each morning to see what new opportunities each day brings. So 
when I moved, I've lived in Hermosa, the same house for like 23 years. I'm east of PCH, but I'm about a half a mile from the ocean. And I, at the time, I was like in my 20s, I lived on the strand with some buddies. And when I moved there, they like made fun of me that I would move to Gardena. So I don't know, I don't know Thomas, but maybe he knows friends of mine. And cause that's like, they would tease me about you moved to Gardena cause I went east of PCH by a couple, like a block or something. So that's kind of weird that he brought that up, but no, I live in Hermosa, but uh, okay. But let's set the sarcasm aside. Where else in LA can you find Rick Neuheisel aimlessly wandering down the street trying to find designer gloves? Isn't that kind of Pac-12 stargazing worth the effort alone? Sure, I could go on and on, but then you might actually, but then you might think I'm actually being serious about this and not just cooking up elaborate off-season content that hopefully has been making you laugh and not ready to file a restraining order. And yes, I'm hoping that many of your listeners who have not spent much time in LA are intrigued enough to check the South Bay out the next time they are in town, and maybe, just maybe, you should have a Pac-12 podcast happy hour at Sharky's one of these days now that Dave has returned to his ancestral homeland. Nevertheless, keep up the scintillating work in my absence, at least until I f- continue to figure out how to get to the Golden Gate Bridge from Fisherman's Wharf, Thomas. Um, why would we go to Sharky's when we have so many good, like, little El Segundo bars that I can walk to? That would be, that, I do realize I'm just being a selfish man here, but come on. <laughs> yeah, well, we had the other Sharky's. things. We had to do them like Westwood and stuff. We always did them near you. The one thing, so that if your people are going to hate on Sharkies, the pandemic did open up the roof. It's like they, they, when they, it burnt down like years ago and they built this like roof deck and then the city didn't let them open it. So they used it for storage for years. But wow. now with the pandemic, they're allowed to use the roof deck. It's pretty freaking cool up there. So is it, is it though? It's you're up it on the Sharkies? roof. It's pretty nice. <sighs> you, Look, even you might like, like it. If it's got like tiki decorations, get me the hell out of there. All right. <laughs> I don't, think I don't want like much. straw over the bar. Hey, speaking of crap. speaking of tiki, real quick, I know we don't have a lot of time, but um, fries closed in the Manhattan Beach store was tiki themed. Uh, were you a fries guy growing up? Uh, no, because I could never find friggin' parking there. It was parking was a nightmare. It was it, the customer service was terrible, but it's sort of sad that it's gone. Yeah, I mean, I went a few times. Usually when I was like going to a movie over there, and I was like early or something. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an electronic of, store for people that don't know. Yeah, it's like it's, it's kind of unique. Like you could do like when I was a kid, I would get like the occasional video game there, but then you could also do like hardcore, like do it yourself, like engineer it, like electric yeah. engineering crap. What's right? I mean, that was like when I was in grad school, like for my getting my master's, I lived in Manhattan Beach, and like if I had to build something on a circuit board, I could buy resistors and capacitors and stuff there. Like you could actually buy that stuff, but also like Dave said, video games and things and. Yeah, they just closed their doors like a, a week ago or something. Yeah, pouring out for fries. Uh, Perk wrote in. And he says, I know most of the listeners want and expect either Chip um, Clay Helton or Chip Kelly to be fired this year. Are there any other coaches you guys can see getting let go this year? And is there a scenario in which either Justin Wilcox or Herm Edwards are replaced after the season? Mm. Mm. No. I don't think so. Yeah, I think I think Chip and Clay – and the new guys, it's like, you can't really get rid of them. Shaw's not going anywhere. I don't think Herm, Justin. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Jimmy Lake's going anywhere. I don't think Jonathan Smith's going anywhere. Um, yeah, no, I think it's the LA schools. It would have to be something odd for it to be another school. Yeah. And I don't know if we want to do this last thing, but, uh, Dave, how important is winning and maintaining Senate and House majority? Every president seems to lose. One or both during their terms. Bill Clinton lost it two years into his first term. 
Is it an accurate reflection on the president's performance? Thanks, guys, from Perk. Yeah, I would say the reason every president seems to lose it is because most don't do anything or do bad things because, um, you know, presidents are generally pretty bad. So uh, it's important. And if you did good things that were popular and good, then you would probably maintain it. But most don't. And they struggle with maintaining it. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is from Hitler. Oh, boy. Oh, you may Google this. Uh, a sinus ad lyrum. Is that what we're going with? Pronunciation-wise? Do, you know do you know what that is? No, I'm going with it, but I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm Googling it right now. Uh, this means an ass to the liar, yeah. which mean, basically means an awkward individual. I okay. don't know how or why. Um, maybe it's like a literal donkey playing the instrument, the lyre. Hmm. I guess that's awkward looking. Anyway. Is it a liar? I think you boys. Is it liar? I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those words that I've only ever read. <laughs> yeah, you know whoever says it, yeah. Uh, I think you boys were right last week to call USC's hiring of Eric Mobley a smart move, or at least a lesson learned. After all, missing athletic talent was what tripped folks up in the Aunt Becky scandal, right? Uh, since we have a brief window before the NBA draft in which Ryan is a Hoops fan, I thought I'd ask after something David said on his solo outing that Pac-12 schools tolerate and overpay inept men's basketball coaches more than they do football coaches. According to USA Today's salary database, three schools aren't even trying. Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State all pay under $2 million. Colorado's Tad Boyle is criminally underpaid at $1.8 million, but he has the biggest potential bonus package. Stanford's pay isn't disclosed. Oregon's Dana Altman seems like a pretty okay coach in earning his $3.1 million. That leaves six coaches who are all paid over $2.5 million, and I'm skeptical that they're worth it. First, please rank the following in terms of how much each one is swindling his employer. Second, is it a coincidence that five of these six are in the league's group of five football division, the Pac-12 South? I will answer the second part first. Yes, it is a coincidence. Um, and also, get out of here, Hitler. Don't talk shit. <laughs> Um, I am a robust UCLA basketball fan. I will snark all day on UCLA football, but get out of here. Um, okay, looking at these, uh, he's got $5.5 million for UCLA for Mick Cronin, $2.8 million USC Andy Enfield, $2.5 million UW Mike Hopkins, $2.5 million ASU Bobby Hurley, $3.8 million Utah Larry Kostoviak, $3.3 million uh, Sean Miller, Arizona. Um, I, so I would need it in context of the nation. I think a lot of times what schools are doing is trying to keep up their base of salary for whoever they're paying. Like you're not necessarily paying for the exact quality you're getting. You're paying to maintain the status of the job sometimes. I know for UCLA specifically with the way the regents and approval works for salaries, they're often looking to increase salaries year over year every year so that when it goes, when it's time again to hire a new coach, they're working from a higher base to work from. Um, so there's some weird state dynamics that at play with UCLA and I'm sure with Cal um, to an extent. Um, I don't know if that's playing out in all these states, but there's something to keep in mind um, from a, like an actual like dollars for win standpoint. Look, should any basketball coach be getting paid 5.5 million a year? No. Uh, all these guys in the mid twos. I mean, Andy Enfield, I think he's a bad coach. I don't think he's very good, but he's recruited. Okay. And they've turned out some okay teams and USC fans are like ambivalent and go either way on him basically. Right. Yeah. I would say, I think he's, I mean, whatever. Uh, Mike Hopkins, I think has been a disaster. Um, a lot of talk that he was going to be great. He was okay for a couple of years and then disaster. Bobby Hurley, um, 
the impression you have of Hurley really doesn't drive with what actually happens on the court. His teams are really undisciplined. They don't play a lot of defense. Um, so yeah, I don't think he's going to be worth it. And I think he might not be long there. I mean, they've had a lot of talent to be producing some pretty mediocre teams. Uh, Utah, uh, Kristoviak, I think is really good. I think he's recruiting as if he's at a D2 school. Um, so I don't think he's worth the money because Utah, it's not a huge power, but they can recruit better than they're doing um, under Kristoviak. He's a good coach, good at the X's and O's stuff. They're going to beat some teams that they are way, way less talented than, but uh, you got to actually recruit a, um, you know, a baseline level of talent. So not worth the money. And then Sean Miller is going to throw Arizona on sanctions, um, has actually already self-sanctioned um, and has never reached a Final Four. So not worth $3.3 million. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you, Dana Altman. Um, probably, you know, he's got some odd baggage, but, um, probably the best. Hey, Tad Boyle, Altman, Mick Cronin, I think are some combination of the best coaches in the league. Um, Altman's the most proven of that bunch. So yeah, 3.1 million for him. And Boyle, I agree with you, is, is by far the most underpaid. If he was getting 2.5 million, he'd still be the most underpaid guy in the league for what he's, um, you know, able to do at that job. All right. Uh, we got a couple more. This is, um, from Paul Webfoot, USK and UCK LAH. Uh, the other Pac-12 football podcast, there's another one, uh, with a, where, with the hosts who try to learn things before opening their mouth holes. Who would do that? A, <laughs> why would you do that? Use an advanced statistical model that has Utah atop the South for 2021. Surely USC is second, right? Nope. It's UC. Mother trucking L goddamn A. Well, they must be third right. Wrong again, sucker. They're fourth behind ASU. It seems to run contrary to the conventional wisdom and all things sensible, but in college football, conventional wisdom is often dumb, bad, and wrong. So what's your take on this? Also, if this were to come to fruition, would it be enough to get Helton fired and Kelly extended? Uh, definitely would get Helton fired. I think this is bunk. Like, if you don't have USC as one or two in the South, then... I mean, you probably don't know much about football. I don't know what formula is going to tell you that they shouldn't be there, but if you just look wow. at the talent. You're, just start, you're trying to start a friggin' war between us and whatever podcast he's talking about. This keyboard thing or something. I think it's 12-pack yeah. radio. Um, look, UCLA, if, you, um, have, like, if you're going just off the numbers and off of who they're returning uh, – yeah, you can make an argument they're going to be pretty good. Now, me, I'm cognizant of the fact that they are coached by zombie Chip, Chip Kelly. Um, <laughs> and so that, that leads me to dampen my um, enthusiasm for these TLA football season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a model is going to look at them as like, wow, they should they check a lot of boxes. They should be pretty good. Uh, I have no idea why any model would be spitting out USC behind three teams in the South, though. That that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I know they've got a little bit more roster churn than UCLA, but nobody has a ton this year, and USC has a ton more talent. So, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. They have continuity on the coaching staff. They have talent. Like, yeah, there's not... Um... And when you have continuity on a coaching staff that includes Clay Helton, Clay Helton that's what a... are you even doing? And yeah. Seth Doge. I learned about Seth Doge this week. Can I tell you how? How? Um, the Athletic uh, put out a poll uh, in a USC story uh, that asked uh, people to fill it out to determine the job that Clay Helton was doing to you know talk about all that stuff. And I uh, decided to fill it out myself 
Um, one of the questions was what assistant coaches are doing the best job at USC. And I, not knowing many of them, I just picked Seth Doge because that was a name. That it's was interesting. Seth, it's Daigie, by the way, which I thought it was Doge too, but it's pronounced Daigie. Okay. I'm going to go with Doge, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, he can, he can, he can, he can pronounce it his way and I'll pronounce it mine. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then I tweeted that out to um, everyone to fill that out too. I, I'm I'm awaiting the results. If anyone has the results of that poll, I want to see um, exactly how much support uh, Clay Helton ended up with. Because that that probably be directly attributed. <laughs> <laughs> every time I identify one of those, I am going to tweet it out every single time. Well, and that one was good because the writer um, he got like like look, I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to Twitter clout here. He got like one retweet, like one like of when he posted it. And then I like put it out there and it was like 40 people liked a bunch of comments. So I'm wondering if I tipped it pretty well. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you did. I'm excited to see. I have a pretty big following. And when I have a poll going, you're able to like make damage to that. Like his poll, you could probably dominate. So I've got like, I've got, I don't know, like 3,000 followers on Twitter. But they're ex- almost exclusively so. There's like a hundred self-loathing USC fans, and I love them. I love every one of them because like very like-minded. The self-loathing UCLA fans and the self-loathing USC fans. They're 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 they are brothers from other mothers. Uh, but the rest of it, it was. Um, I, I think all of my following is basically all people um, who just hate USC, like Washington, Oregon, all you know. Comrades in arms. And so when I tweet one of those things, I think like basically it's, it's, it's a chewy content for like 2,500 of my followers. Nice. It's great. All right. We got one from Shane to end us today. Networking at the Tuscaloosa Rotary Club. There was a question last week about what the conference could do to position itself through partnerships with tech and growth industries in our footprint as a recruiting tool. First of all, yes, every school is already doing this. Second of all, this is a pet peeve of mine that I hope I can help listeners with. Adult men, you've got to stop using your own perspective on life as an avatar for what 17- and 18-year-old star football recruits might value. It's probably not networking with tech companies. Six of the top nine kids in the 2021 class are going to either Alabama or Ohio State, and every single one of those kids believes they are exactly three years away from being drafted into NFL greatness. Football is their destiny, and they will maximize their temporary, inconvenient stop on a college campus to win a championship. Shout out to my man, Cardale Jones, who told it like it is. We ain't coming here to play school. He just said out loud what most of us pretend isn't happening. Our fine university and that kid isn't lining up for the internship at Google. Sorry. This is such a messaging, this is such a message board trope. Sometimes I, uh, something I hear from Washington fans all the time. We're a top global university in a beautiful, vibrant city with Boeing and Microsoft and Amazon and Starbucks. Who wouldn't want to go here? If more elite football recruits prioritize quality of life or legitimate academic opportunities, not a damn one of them would choose to spend their time in Norman, Oklahoma. Reminder, we exaggerate punchlines for comedic survival, but the Pac-12 is, quote, good at football, or emphasized, good at football. The conference added 55 four- and five-star players in the 2021 cycle, 21 more than the Big 12, and just slightly behind the Big 10 and ACC. We're landing great kids, talented kids. Our problem isn't collective quality. Our problem is we don't have that one evil singularity, a Death Star school pulling in all of the elite talent promising playoff, championship, or bust. A program like that tends to pull others into their orbit and into national relevance. 
Yes, I'm simplifying a large population of individual perspectives and priorities into a couple big buckets. From, but from your experience covering recruiting for years, how wrong am I? Keep up the work. Your friend and compatriot, Shane. Hey, Shane. Look, a serious email from Shane. That was, that was, I, I was waiting for the punchlines, but they didn't come. It was just a serious question. Yeah. Um, I would say for basketball, it's 100% true in that literally every kid who comes into, I think, Almost any high major university thinks they're going to the NBA in a year. Um, some of them are quickly disabused of that notion, but they have any, like, I don't know, anybody in the top 100 or 150 kids in college basketball recruiting, they all have smoke blown up the, their ass for like three or four years at least telling them they're going to the NBA. So basketball, 100% true. Football is different. Um, like, I don't... I, most of the five-star types are thinking they're going NFL as soon as three-year clock is up. I think more of them are realistic um, outside of that, you know, top 25, top 30 group. Um, I think a lot of them do have, like, you know, they're realistic. They think they're going to have a chance to play in the NFL, but they're also doing school crap. Um, like, they're not – basketball, you can run into some guys who are like, oh, wow, you thought you were going one and done and you didn't do any of your schoolwork. Um, football, you, you generally don't, you, you, more of the kids are, are involved in the school and, and doing that sort of stuff. So yeah, outside of a top, the, the top chunk of them, I don't think this is completely true. Um, but basketball it is. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, he's talking about something you've talked about before right now. The Pac-12 doesn't have their Clemson. They're not, they don't have that death star program. Um, they just don't, there's there, that gravitational pull of, uh, an Alabama or a Clemson or Ohio State that just kind of makes everybody better. You don't have it in the Pac-12. Obviously, the you know the, the obvious candidates USC. They've been down. Um, you know, can Oregon do it? Could Washington do it? Can UCLA or Arizona State? I, I mean, we haven't really seen it yet. They've had some bites at the apple, some some semblance of success, but not the kind of just overall just taking over things like we've seen Clemson do in the ACC. And that would definitely elevate the PAC 12 in general by going to college football playoff and making it, you know, cooler to, to play in that conference as opposed to now where this is the conference that nobody makes the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I mean, I think, I mean, we've talked about it, but um, you have to have uh, eventually you have to get back to that. You have to have some school that's actually going to, be a consistent breakthrough candidate. And it's true. It's right though. When he's saying like, you're a 45 year old guy that went to school 30 years ago, whatever. And you're you're a big fan. What you prioritize isn't what this 17, 18 year old kid. So when you see that, that hype video that comes out, that's uh, customized to a, a, a prospect and you're like, why are you bothering doing that? Well, the kid likes it. Or if he's playing, you know, watching guys play video game on Twitch or whatever, like, they're doing things as a 16, 17 year old that you're not doing as a 45 year old or whatever. And you can't look at the, the world from your point of view. I think the Texas boosters are doing the same thing with the eyes of Texas right now. It's, uh, it's different. I mean, these kids, these are prospects. They don't look at the world like you do. They don't look at picking a school the way you do. So I think Shane's right on a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, eyes of Texas, that's a, that's a whole other fun deal has to do a lot with the South and uh, right. certain certain things. But there are all there. these boosters wrote in and they were like complaining. Oh, that, that story was insane. Yeah. I mean, like, emails the were just that like, they were saying, man, it's uh imagine putting that into a public record. 
and just feeling feeling good about yourself. And then doubling down. Like most of those boosters were anonymous, but there was one guy who then was like, "Yeah, you can quote me, and you can ask me some more questions." It's just like, dude. Yeah, not. But I mean, you're not. You're definitely not relating to what the the modern you know student athlete uh, coming out of high school is. What's important to them? It, it's not what's important to you. So that's a good point. Yeah, there. that's putting it away. All right. Well, I got to get out of here. Um, good stuff, though. You've got to go. Great show. Uh, awesome stuff. Well, thanks for all the questions. Thanks for the five-star reviews. Thanks to my co-host, David Woods. Uh, that's David Woods, and I'm Ryan Abraham, and uh, we're the Podcast of Champions. We really appreciate you listening. Spend some time out of your day, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. CBS Monday. Federal agents. Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. New criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violin Island, got it. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii Monday, 10, 9 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 